You've been listening to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, designed for both established and aspiring career-focused tech rock stars, as well as helping leadership figure out how to speak global in today's multicultural world. For further details, check out sf-talent.com. Welcome, I'm Ross Lauder, your host from Single Focus Talent, and I'm joined by our non-exec director, John Quigley, today. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Welcome. We're joined today by Dennis Vickers, the CSM manager at Microsoft. Welcome, Dennis. Hey, Ross. How are you doing? You well? I'm very well. I'm very well. So I thought it would be great to have uh, Dennis on the show. I've known Dennis uh, throughout my career uh, for quite some time now. We started back in the day in uh, the workhouse of all workhouses in Dell, uh, where you certainly learn your craft. Um, I suppose, Dennis, if you could maybe just take us through your journey, what's brought you to uh, to Microsoft, some interesting ones along the way there as well with Citrix and Vodafone. Maybe just take us through kind of how that kind of journey started. What drove you to tech and you know what what was the evolution of your career into people management in particular you've been at it uh, some time now quite the home craft i'd imagine so maybe just walk us through that journey if you would yeah sure i mean it was probably a journey i didn't think i'd end up making if i'm being really honest and um, i'll even take a step back further than that ross mm-hmm. um, and give you a, a funny story in the lead up to my, to my career in dell um mm-hmm. actually did uh, multimedia web authoring and design in college and as part of the course, when you received your certifications and diplomas, that the college would put you on a work placement uh, starting job um, as an intern with a salary. And I went for an interview with a company on the Bog Hall Road in Bray, actually, some years ago. This is probably going back nearly 20 years ago now. Mm. And uh, I remember it was my first real interview for, for a job after college. And um when I went there, I did the interview with the company and, and they were pretty happy and they were prepared to offer me a role. And as I was walking back down towards the bus, because I was living in Wicklow at the time, I met a good friend of mine sitting on the wall outside Dell um, oh at the God. bottom of the bog hall road. <laughs> so, uh, John Marr, actually a good friend of mine who's, uh, who I'm still in contact with. I worked and, with John uh, in Quest, I know him well, yeah. Yeah, he's, John's a good guy, you know, and... Um, you know, he's uh, very much the extrovert, jumped off the wall, gave me a big hug and said, hey, what are you doing up here? And I said, well, I was up doing an interview uh, with a company for a placement. And he said, OK, where is it? And the first thing he said to me is, how much money did they offer you? <laughs> and, uh, I remember <laughs> the time it was, it was, yeah, a, a paltry amount. And I think, you know, going back to those days, it was like uh, 11 and a half thousand punts at the time. And he wow. said, you got to come in here and talk to these guys because uh, I think I can get you in on 18 and a half. And I was like, OK, well, look, I'll go and have the conversation at least. So I remember going home that evening and uh, my dad said, well, how did it go? And I said, well, there's good and bad news. Um, I said, the good news is I have a job. Uh, the bad news is it's nothing to do with what I did in college. with <laughs> 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 the whole computers. So um, that, that's really how it started. And, uh, you know, I didn't think I'd get into the sales part. And uh, maybe there's a sales uh, DNA that's inbuilt into people uh, when they see kind of uh, the money side of the business. <laughs> I'm of not course. sure. But um, I, I think in terms of my, my first job in Dell, that's how it came about. That's how it happened. And I probably haven't looked back since. Um, so I think, you know, you made the point there of saying, you know, I think Dell's probably a, a great foundation and nearly a college in itself. I've met Absolutely. some inspirational people there, some great leaders. Um, I worked my way up just from starting on the consumer division uh, as an inside sales rep all the way through to inside sales management and as a coaching manager in between as well, uh, covering, um, you know, 
predominantly UK, but a lot of areas in EMEA. Um, and I think, you know, during my time there, I really got a good grounding for uh, not only account management and inside sales, but the corporate landscape, uh, relationship building. And in terms of, I suppose, leadership as well, it gave me that drive for results. Um, it gave me probably the collaborative approach I probably install and instill in myself uh, today. Um, I also think in terms of, you know, leadership qualities, um, I worked with some phenomenal leaders there who had a strong work ethic ingrained with integrity and trust, uh, a lot of respect for people. And I definitely came out of that organization. I'm a lot more resilient than when I went in. Um, so I spent about eight and a half years there um, within that within that company. And again, some really great times. We moved from Boghall Road and Bray, if you remember, to the Cherrywood, who was stated there, our building there. And um, during that time, I, I suppose redundancy had come up, voluntary redundancy for a few people based on um you know we were, we were resizing in certain parts of the business and it was an opportunity for me after probably eight and a half years after a really strong education within inside sales to maybe look at some other alternatives and options and i think for the most part in dell and you'll remember this yourself it was very it focused on hardware uh, with a little bit of software i think kind of cloud and software as a service were really just buzzwords when I was coming to the end of my tenure in that part of, uh, of, of my career. Um, and I probably looked at uh, the, the, the SaaS division and other companies out there and what they were offering. And I was close to probably joining one uh, really well-known company in that particular vertical until um, something happened within the family. And I decided to help out on the family business back home in Wicklow for for what I thought was going to be six months and ended up <laughs> turning out to be over two years. Yeah. Um, so I ended up supporting the family in relation to, um, you know, it was a small co-op shop cafe business back down in British Bay. Um, and luckily I had a bit of backing behind me from leaving Dell that I could afford to do that for a few months. But we built the business up as a family, um, moved to bigger premises, expanded into certain areas. But what's one of the hardest things, it's the greatest education probably I ever got working with family, one of the hardest things as well. And I was commuting a lot down from Dublin to Wicklow. So in that sense, I really wanted to relocate back to Dublin. And I wanted to get back into the corporate world. And the opportunity then arose for me to join Citrix mm-hmm. and Citrix Online in particular out in East Point Business Park in Clontarf. And again, some great links there with, with people I worked previously with in, in Dell. And, you know, again, it, it goes to show the power of networking and the power of keeping those networks and those connections really close to you because those are the people, again, that can fork out your career in so many ways. Um, even when I joined Microsoft recently, I'm linking with people that I would have worked with previously in Dell. So, you know, those relationships are keen and uh, really important to foster throughout your career. But going back to, to Citrix, um, I actually took probably uh, a sideways step and took up a senior account management position within Citrix, uh, working with your online collaboration work suite. So you would be probably familiar with go to meeting, go to webinar, and go to training. And um, that online part of the division has been recently acquired by Log Me In. Yes, um, yes. But for the, for, for the most part, I had a really enjoyable time there. And it was my first kind of adventure really into the SaaS world. Um, again, working with another American company out of Santa Barbara. Um, so some really good times in relation to visiting uh, California in my time there as well. Not the worst part of the world. 
Uh, no, it's really, really phenomenal that part on the uh, on the west coast, uh, right beside the sea. So if you get an opportunity, absolutely go and visit it. Um, and it has an Irish bar like every small town in the world as well. So um, you'll, you'll get you'll get to know it really, really well. But from from a Citrix perspective, yeah, I spent some time with the online collaboration work suite. Uh, it was very successful, and predominantly in within the EMEA markets. Um, and then the opportunity arose to take that next step into management, um, into Citrix services, which I did. Um, but again, just going back to give a bit of advice on the move and that lateral move into account management, I probably could have went back and taken up a management position in another organization. But for what was on offer for me at the time, I probably didn't feel it was the right fit. And I think, again, you know, in terms of that um, self-realization piece, I had to probably get to know the SaaS business a little bit better before I could lead in it and before I could manage people. So I think that's how did you kind of transition to that? I mean, a lot of times, and I remember in uh, in Dell, you know, it would have been a badge of honor to be a leader or to be a coach or you know to be some sort of level um, that was you know you'd moved on as such. I suppose when you take that sideways move from hardware into SaaS, and I know SaaS companies themselves can be quite precious about having SaaS experience, like. Why did you decide that that was right for you and kind of how did you work through that process, as it were, and learn your craft in a slightly different nuance? Yeah, no, it's, 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 a, it's a really good question. Um, I suppose, first of all, I had the support of my, my colleagues around me in relation to getting back up to speed. I mean, I was really out of the, the corporate world for, so, for a few years and, and, and a few years is a long, long time. Um, and I think if you want to get to that leadership level, you know, Steve Jobs probably said, first of all, that you know management is about probably persuading people to do things they don't want to do, whereas leadership is inspiring people to do things they never thought they could. Amazing. And, yeah, and you know, I, I personally didn't know enough about a the business or b software as a service to to be able to inspire people, um, let alone manage them. And again, I talk about self realization and um, where you're at and. You know, you've got to hold yourself uh, on, on a high pedestal before you can probably approach that leadership question um, in any other way. So I suppose in that sense, I needed to take that sideways step. But I was able to leverage the experience of people around me. I think I've always had uh, that ability to communicate and build and foster relationships really, really quickly in any organization. So again, to leverage the experience is probably a, a something I had to do really, really early. I think you made a really interesting point there earlier about uh, family business that um, I wanted to just um, revisit for a moment. I I come from a small family business as well that, you know, started in the 50s and um, my father then took it on and and then I kind of worked in it as a teenager. And one of the things I found was, uh, it you know, yes, it's certainly challenging working with family and it takes on that kind of added pressure. But I think for me, it really uh, fostered kind of interpersonal social skills and customer service skills and I kind of went into my first job with that in mind that you know if you can work to get to the bottom of a problem um, and work through difficult scenarios because you've got all these personalities bubbling up to the surface and everyone wants their you know their voice heard and so on but I think if you can go in with that mindset of let's um let's deal with this on an even keel let's uh, list everybody's perspective and and have that kind of solution orientated mindset sounds quite high level but if you can yeah. deal with those crazy personalities and you know i'm one of them i would imagine i mean i'm not perfect you know everyone has their own proclivities but i think i think it really helps you to kind of make progress ultimately which is where you all need to get to and it's kind of yeah. that win-win approach has that been your experience from the kind of family orientated kind of intersocial kind of perspective yeah, and you know, I think back to the, to one of the most probably core competencies 
associated with management or probably leadership. I, I should probably use the terminology leadership um, mm-hmm. is that core value system. And for me, I think my parents in particular um, and my family probably have installed or instilled those, you know, those most important values into me. Uh, when I think about, you know, a strong work ethic, um, my dad probably was working six and a half days a week sometimes sure. um, in order to to keep keep everything going with bills and, uh, you know, the, the family and school and everything like that. Um, I, I think they taught me the, the, the value of integrity and trust, um, you know, respect for people, but more importantly, probably respect for myself. Um, mm-hmm. they, they taught me to be accountable. Um, and in a family of, you know, seven, when there was five kids, you know, resilience was absolutely an, an sure. important trait. Um, but I think the value system and I think, you know, it's something that we probably don't talk enough about um, how important it is to be instilled in people at a young age um, in order when they get to that kind of um, later, la- later age in life. So let so, me dive in on that, actually, the, um, in terms of the value system. right? So, you know, it, it's my belief, right, that without a shadow of a doubt, right, in, 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 a, in a software driven kind of uh, revenue driven organization, right, <laughs> um, one of the most difficult jobs uh, to do in any of those organizations, be they small or large jobs, is a frontline sales manager's job. Hmm. Well, first, do you agree with that or not? Or first, <laughs> what do you think? Um, is is it the hardest job, um, frontline manager? I think th- I think it become I think it be probably could become one of the hardest jobs depending on where you are in the organization. I think for me, um, probably one of the hardest jobs is starting off in the organization, um, getting your brand where it needs to be, working hard to learn to know the business, um, having to look up in terms of your career development. Um, taking on a lot of initiatives you might not have taken on. I think kind of, I, I go back to the kind of the inside sales management piece. You're probably only as good as the people around you, um, believe it or not. And if I look at kind of myself starting off in the company, coming in as a manager into Microsoft has been really, probably uh, re- really, really tough because um, I'm in a virtual world at the moment. I'm trying to upskill. I'm trying to leverage. I don't have the ability to get up and, and ask people simple questions um i don't have the opportunity probably to walk around the building and, and catch up with people so for me at the moment i would i would class it as very hard but i suppose if you're asking me the question straight up i think when you join a company first um regardless of whether you're inside sales manager or agent it's probably all the one for me trying to try to upskill so where i'm coming from on that right is is to your point right Let, let's say a sales manager is likely to have to deal with a lot of those type of people you just described right people coming into the organization for the first time finding their way around, you know, they're unsure and it can be at times, uh, you know, an emotional melting pot. Yeah. Um, as, as well as that, they're, they're trying to establish, uh, you know, their own credibility um, in terms of uh, making the numbers. Um, and, and typically um, any kind of shortfall or, you know, any kind of misassignment of quota, right, is absorbed at the front line, okay? The, the front line managers absorb an awful lot of that. So that's additional pressure as well. So that's the context, right, really, of kind of where I'm coming from. In my experience and, you know, managers who, who kind of ha- have worked for me um, uh, previously as well, it's a tough, tough, tough job, you know? Mm-hmm. So my question really is, um, you know, the core value system, um, your core value system, anybody's core value system, um, you know, 
is is kind of their their default platform in terms of the lens they look through or how they evaluate right various mm. situations and various things mm. that happen right so you know high degree of emotional intelligence is really necessary what do you do when when and what happens or how, how have you learned to cope with uh, s- some of these folks who who completely clash against your core value system um bite my tongue a lot of yeah. <laughs> um, no like and, and by the way you make a great point just to before I, before I answer that uh, I think there's an accountability thing you know when we talk about joining an organization whereas now I'm accountable for you know 10 people for example it's not an individual accountability right it, it's, it's a team accountability so in that sense I would say yeah it's, it's probably a tougher role than you know an individual kind of contribution um, so in that sense you're probably right um, yeah, so so that's an interesting point, right? Because I think one of the hardest things um, for me, probably, I probably have to work hard or t- to achieve everything that I've achieved or I've always had to work hard. Um, and I've seen some people with really high IQs and super intelligence, but not the drive or passion to work hard or get to the next level. Interesting. Um, and, and, and that's that's a really tough one for me um, because for me, I'll probably have to work twice as hard as some of those folk to get to where I am. Um, I think you probably have to take a step back and realize that not everybody's the same. Um, not everybody has the same view of a, of culture. Not everybody's had the same probably upbringing. Not everybody's had the same probably uh, value system uh, aligned to them. You know whether they're in college or whether they're starting off in a job. And um, you know I, I don't know many times you've probably watched the Simon Sinek breaking the internet on the millennials <laughs> video yeah. as well, you know, and I'm sure they probably feel a bit aggrieved at that as well, because, you know, I, I look at that in the sense of there's some millennials that I've worked with that are absolutely phenomenal um, mm-hmm. and would buy and sell me tomorrow. Um, but, but, but in that sense, it's, it's a really tough conversation. Um, and that's something I've probably struggled with over the years that in terms of that um, EQ piece, I've had to probably take a step back and appreciate that there's different levels um, of people and ability within the organization. And, and yeah, that, that's a tough one. It's worth probably exploring a little bit more. Yeah, I think it's hard to really and truly empathize, you know, for, for somebody else's situation at times when, you know, again, there's a, there's there's an onslaught or an attack on one of your core values, right? So so yeah. in the heat of the moment, it's, it, it's very difficult. Um, it's, it, it's very difficult uh, to do that, you know, to truly put yourself in someone else's shoes, you know, it's like the old, the golden rule, you know, and uh, treat treat everybody like you 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 would like to be treated, you know. But it's yeah. really not about that. It's treat treat everybody like they want to be treated. Yeah, and like um, that's a difficult. That, it, it's a small little shift, but it's a very difficult thing to do, you know. Um, um, you know, particularly in 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 situations like that um do you think um in in your experience is that different for um european businesses con- con- considering you know um it's it's a fairly heterogeneous kind of you know um landscape as opposed to the homogenous kind of usa right you know in terms of mm-hmm. kind of how people approach business and kind of what they do you know it's um th- there's certainly a lot going on in europe do you think that that might be a little bit different in europe than, than the us um <sighs> You know, it's funny, probably based on the fact that we, we're seeing so many multinationals relocating to Ireland, the, 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 the cultural differences are probably getting less and less between the US and, and ourselves. Um, and, you know, if you think about kind of where we were maybe, you know, 15 to 20 years ago and the likes of the Bells and Salesforces um, and Citrixes of this world were probably coming to, to Dublin in the first place. Um, there was probably a, a bigger gap in relation to that cultural side. 
um, of, of how we how we kind of interact. But I, I think that gap's getting less and less. I really do. Um, it's something that I've seen over the over the last few years. We're probably becoming uh, a, a lot closer, um, and maybe we're becoming a, a little bit less Europeanized <laughs> because we're this central hub and location uh, for all these multinationals as well. So um, that, that that's an interesting point. To your other point as well. Um, on what we have to, there's a self-realization piece as well on those core kind of competencies or personal attributes. Um, because I think, again, if I think about when I first came to Dublin, coming from the country as well, um, I had gaps on confidence. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to have this call maybe 20 years ago. Um, I would have had to probably look at my communication style and having that self-belief in myself as well. So I, I think you can probably... Uh, you can probably regionalize that as well from, from a cultural standpoint in relation to individual competencies. So you make an interesting point there around, uh, you know, what you look for and how we've kind of transitioned and, uh, you know, de- dealing with uh, difficult individuals, etc. I know from my myself and my own interview style, there were, um, you know, organizations I joined where I was given almost an interview script. And there were organizations where I was given exactly nothing and told to make it up as I went along. And then there was kind of the hybrids in between where it's like, here's what you need to ask, but feel free to jump in with your own questions and bring your own values and you know kind of style to the to, to the table I had a couple of key interview questions that I used to like to ask that I felt were good at kind of sniffing out people who might be <laughs> might be uh you know faffing their own brand of bullshit or whatever it might be or you know just clarifying and solidifying the fact that they were actually who they were and they said they were um, were there any kind of interview questions specifically Dennis you brought to the table during the process that you felt really worked for you well like from the Jack Welch's of this world or anyone or Simon Sinek's been mentioned also but what kind of stood stood to you in terms of finding those rock stars for your team God that's a really really good question um, I mean not to deflect too much I, I, I probably think it probably depends on what way the interview is going or what avenue the interview is taking. Um, I mean, I, th- I think kind of, I, I don't tend to look back a lot in interviews um, in relation to, to previous experience. I probably tend to look more of what this person can bring to my organization. Um, I think. So probably- maybe another way of asking that actually, right, is, is what would be a complete and utter pull down the shutters job for you, right? Where you go, oh, you know, I'm getting a real, real bad feeling, right? Like what, what would need to happen or kind of what would be coming across in an interview or, you know, that kind of thing for, for you to, uh, for, for what would be your red flags, you know what I mean? Like in terms of things that would, um, you know, uh, come out of an interview and in your mind you're going, oh, that's not good. Um, I mean, I mean, you have the obvious ones standing out. You know, you know the basic errors um, for for kind of stuff not adding up from a CV perspective around dates, etc. Obviously, but if I think in terms of the, the the deeper conversation, I suppose look at I look for somebody that you know that I can foster an environment of inclusion with them that I feel can be a part of the team. Um, I really look for somebody for me that's a self-starter capable of working on their own initiative. You know, I really look for somebody that, you know, that has the self-realization around where the gaps are, where they need to improve. And then I take a look probably where their strengths are, probably based on what their what their previous experiences are, but aspirationally where they want to get to as well. Um, and what, well, if you look at even, I'm, I'm probably building out a team at the moment and I'm looking at a broad spectrum of different personalities, different cultures, 
if I brought everybody on the same with the same strengths, um, with with this with the same kind of weaknesses, I'm, I'm going to be in a, in a difficult place and trying to build build a new team out. So for the most part, I'll probably look for a broad spectrum of people. Um, I don't necessarily probably subscribe to the view of, you know, they're too individualistic to work in a team based um, environment because in that sense as well. When you look at sales or even from a CSM perspective, the role is a lot about that individualistic approach. It's been able to obviously marry that with a collaboration, um, a collaboration uh, work ethic when needed uh, throughout the kind of uh, day, week, month or quarter. Okay. Okay. Now, I think they're they're very very key points, and um, I think that that's a very important facets to hold dear when you're working in an organization um, like you do. So, I mean, there's there's no point in asking who are Microsoft and what do you do and what are your values in, in the marketplace because we we only have a limited time here, and we don't have the rest of the calendar year to to go into that question. But I suppose what is it you know that. Um, you know, you feel excited about from a Microsoft perspective. Obviously, being a massive shift as an organization from being the classic OS play in the 90s, which is really where they, they experienced that hyper growth to being very much an infrastructure play on-prem and now very much migrating to Azure Cloud, et cetera. So maybe just take us through kind of that journey from, from your own perspective and what you've learned with your feet barely under the desk, as it were. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, first of all, I'd probably look at, Satya Nadella and what he's done over the last five years um, since he came in as CEO as the organ into the organization. Um, and can, can I take a step back actually just before Microsoft? Sure. I think it's I think it's worth calling out as well. Um, I think I've got to a point in my career because we got to the kind of Citrix point earlier. Um, mm-hmm. You know where I was and when I decided to leave leave Citrix at the time, I probably felt for me that I needed to probably change. I'd probably done software as a service for a good couple of years. I'd done the hardware um, side, side of the business in Dell. Um, I was looking at other kind of verticals and Vodafone came along from a telco perspective. And that was probably, again, a good opportunity for me to probably get experience in something that I hadn't done before. Um, and I would give that advice to people as well. Don't stay pigeonholed in the kind of one vertical or one line of business all your life. Get out and experience new things. Um, and when the opportunity came on to be a part of, um, you know, a digital sales hub within Vodafone for something that they hadn't done before, um, I thought it was a good opportunity for me because it was very much in startup mode. I think we started off with 15 people in a small office in Ballymount wow. at the time. Yeah. And we ended up moving to a state-of-the-art office in Carrick Mines with about mm-hmm. 150 people. And then we expanded out to offices in Budapest, Valencia, Singapore, and a small office in Egypt as well. So very much in terms of that kind of, um, that 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 growth and that kind of startup type mentality was something that really interested me at the time. And, um, you know, I think I got to the point in Vodafone as well, where, you know, and I give this advice as well to people don't stay somewhere where you're not probably fully hundred percent happy um, because it'll start to have an effect on you uh, professionally and personally. And I think uh, with Vodafone at the time, for me, it got to the point where I've been doing the same role for three and a half years uh, there wasn't a huge opportunity for um, career progression. Um, I thought maybe, you know, at the time there was probably an opportunity for some international assignments, but with a young family, um, I didn't feel that was the right choice for me at that particular time. Um, and then, you know, when Microsoft did come and talk about, you know, the roles that were available in their organization, I think there's probably a handful of companies that when they come and you probably have to take it under real consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Microsoft was one of those organizations uh, for me. And 
you know, to your point, Ross, and you make a really, really good point. If it was the same Microsoft from maybe 10, 15 years ago, would have had the same level of interest. I'm probably not sure. Um, but if you look at kind of what they're doing from an Azure perspective and from a cloud perspective, then you would have to say, absolutely, this was a this is something that I couldn't probably pass up. Um, and I think kind of, um, you know, we can talk about, you know, cloud computing platforms and, you know, and, and what they are and what they can do. But when I looked at Azure, it probably was one of the forefront in terms of that particular cloud landscape, you know, was probably less expensive than other companies. And, was, you know, it's more secure, it's more reliable and flexible than probably on-premise services as well. Sure, um, sure. And if I look at that Azure portfolio, it's so expansive, right? I mean, um, it's going to take me probably a long time to get fully up to speed with everything that it entails. But I mean, from IoT, AI, uh, blockchain, DevOps, you know, hybrid cloud applications, uh, business intelligence, uh, dynamics, backup, gaming, uh, data warehousing. It's so expansive in terms of the specific lines of business that I think it covers a multitude of organizations and it covers a multitude of verticals and it covers a lot in terms of security for the future. And that, that was something I think I wanted to be a part of. Uh, the, the CSM side of the business for me, um, you know, customer success management is probably still in its in its infancy to a degree uh, in mm-hmm. relation to Microsoft. You know, we're probably there about you know two and a half, maybe less than three years, um, right. and, and that's that's pretty that's pretty kind of I think short term in terms of the, the Microsoft world um, overall. Um, I think probably as well we're very much in in a growth mindset with with how we're looking to do things within Microsoft as well. So what I mean about that, you know, maybe a year ago when we had the customer success management conversation at any level, it would have been very much about utilization and optimization um, and making sure that, you know, they're, you know that, that the customer was fully aligned to that core set of products within Azure, for example. And I think as we look to the future now, we really want to try and build out relationships with our customers, whereas, you know, we can help them support them, get to the next level and potentially look at parts of the portfolio that they weren't engaged on previously. And there's a huge amount of, of, of platforms or, you know, cloud platforms and services we offer that will allow them probably expand their business in a way they couldn't have imagined before. So in that sense, um, I think it was, you know, definitely futuristic in terms of, of, of when I looked at it as well. And I think in terms of what we're trying to do uh, globally, um, I re- it really was a good fit for me at that particular time. And when I was weighing it up and I'd had a couple of conversations with yourself, Ross, in relation mm-hmm. to two other kind of opportunities that were out there in the market. Sure. Um, it's funny probably because I looked at my age and I looked at where I was at in my career and I'm no spring chicken, but you look at kind of your working life ahead of you, and I probably made it more of a security, um, more of a security choice, and uh, based on what I've already said around the role as well. And when I put it all together, Microsoft was was the was the clear choice for me. And I look at you know certain startups that we discussed and other organisations and how they're struggling now with with the current COVID pandemic. Um, and and some you know might not come out of this and I I think in that sense I've been very fortunate and probably a little bit lucky in that sense in the role that I picked and sometimes you need that little bit of luck as well. An interesting point I suppose. Talk to me about how have you transitioned from um, being um, in sales, sales leader uh, at all levels and and what kind of sales skills did you bring to the CSM uh, fold and how has that transition gone for you? 
Yeah, and that's a really good question because I probably nearly had to put the brakes on. I was nearly going too far ahead in relation to a a, a sales mindset. And um, you've got to remember that you know at the end at the end of the day, when you look at this role, it is customer success management, and it's ensuring, like I said, that utilization optimization piece is happening. We are there in a supportive uh, perspective for the for any particular customer. The growth mindset is something that we'll probably continue to, to look at as, as we move forward into the new FI, and we're already doing that. Um, but yeah, I nearly had to probably take a step back and not go to sales <laughs> sure. when I came in. And I suppose I've had to probably, um, I wouldn't say relax my approach, um, but I definitely have probably, I've definitely strategized my approach differently in relation to how I was doing things before. I think you're you're dealing with probably a different role type uh, with CSM versus a kind of conventional inside sales uh, account manager. Okay. Okay. And um, where do you kind of see um, Microsoft CSM piece in the next number of years? Obviously you said you were three uh, years in as an organization. I mean, I suppose I, I transitioned from kind of being an on-prem guy to, to joining a, you know, albeit a well-funded startup in HubSpot. And that was one of the things they held dear. And, you know, churn was the big dirty word uh, banded about the office. Like, where do you see Microsoft kind of expanding their CSM piece? Um, I mean, I go back to the portfolio and um, I think of things that probably weren't there even, you know, a year or two ago, um, you look at kind of some of the work that we're doing around um, the Internet of Things. You look what we're doing from a productivity standpoint and development standpoint around AI, mm-hmm. um, blockchain as well. Um, I mean, these are all things that you know we wouldn't even been having a conversation about a couple of years ago. Um, you look at what's happening at the moment in relation to uh, BI. I mean. BI from an operational standpoint is huge at the moment for any you know corporate organization. Um, you look at development and testing at the moment around the processing and testing applications that we're trying to put together. And you look at kind of even dealing with the current pandemic, how we're having an impact in those particular areas from from medical perspective or pharmaceutical perspective. I mean, it's so expansive and we're hitting on so many lines of business, so many verticals that we never did before. Um, and, you know, top it all off, then you, you go completely left field to something like you know gaming where you know i never would have thought it would have been a part of you know you think about gaming when we were growing up versus gaming now and the scalability of that across platforms and reliability and refinement of analytics behind it again it's 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 phenomenal how we're taking this approach to a multitude of of different kind of um platforms um a different a multitude of different organizations a multitude of different line of business and verticals so i think that the portfolio is so expansive and we're covering off so many different areas um of, of global business not just only at a corporate level but at a small business level as well that i can only see positive things for us for, for the future um, how do you take that out of the your 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 customer success managers or, or the reps how do you take the decision making out of their hands and the confusion and all that kind of stuff, right? So, so you're you're talking about a, a really expansive uh, portfolio. I know it well, and uh, it, it is expansive. It certainly mm. is and complex, and you know, mm. it's a bit of a quagmire. I would Im- imagine to kind of navigate through all of that, right? But I mean, you know, customer success manager rocks in on a Monday morning, and they're like, 
where do I start on all of this, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they obviously would, would uh, uh, you know, your segmentation piece would have them have, you know, a set of accounts or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, how do they know? And, and like, how, how, are, how are you, how, how are you guys helping those guys to, you know, kind of focus on um, areas that, that really matter for customers? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And I think business intelligence uh, plays a lot behind that. I mean, if you're asking me personally, I think this is where one of my core traits around that drive for results really comes into play. Yeah. Being able to track and report and build those relevant reports out from a CRM perspective or from a Power BI perspective to kind of monitor that performance piece, which is something that we're getting a lot better at um, and we're we're doing a really good job at. Um, So from a reporting standpoint and that drive for me, that's one side. But for those guys to be able, I mean, this is one thing I I think from from a Microsoft view um, that I've noticed being in the organization is the absolute focus that they put uh, on education within the organization. So um, at a CSM level, at an inside sales account manager level, at an executive level, uh, people know and understand what they're talking about. And there is an onus and an emphasis on people to go and get that education in relation to those particular certifications sure. um, to be able to understand the portfolio, uh, to be able to understand some of those complexities. And, you know, even if they don't understand all of them, that, we, that we're able to leverage out into the organization to other kind of senior, um, you know, architects within, within the business to be able to support leverage, not only on calls, but on opportunities where, where, where we need their help. So I think there's it's that business acumen, isn't it, as well? You know, I mean, e- 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 like customer success surely is about, you know, helping people who bought your stuff to either use more of your stuff to get more results, right, or to use what they have better so that they can get the true, you know, kind of business value or the impact that your sales guys sold them in the first place, right? Yeah. But so in my experience, it's an interesting one, right? Because, and I think it's an ever-evolving one for customer success people because uh, a lot of the time I see in organizations, um, the people they bring in as customer success people, they're, they're good for doing customer satisfaction, but they're not great for doing kind of business value, right? For, for looking at how is this going to impact this customer in a positive way so that they're going to get, you know, uh, a, a, certain, a certain return, you know? And yeah. I think it's because the... The mindset has always been that customer success is kind of really good for, you know, the canary in the coal mine kind of stuff, right? That if, you know, a customer is a flight risk or, you know, something's going on on the customer side, um, well, then, you know, customer success job is to alert us so that we can keep the customer instead of being like, you know, extremely proactive with the customer so that, you know, if, if we were completely proactive, then, you know, the customer wouldn't be in that situation in the first place, right? Yeah, and, and you make a good point, John, because if, if you look at even from a vision or mission statement perspective, uh, Microsoft will say that we're trying to empower every person and every organization on the planet to do more, to achieve more. And it's not just a buzzword or it's not just a throwaway sentence, right? Because if I think about my team in particular, and if I think of kind of, you know, the uh, the, the responsibilities that I would associate with, with a CSM, I, I will ask those guys, and they already noticed to be able to identify and explain how the businesses in their portfolio across industries and company sizes can meet a new bar of excellence to reinvent themselves or can compete for the next decade by, you know, embracing our, our technologies. So I think that's something, again, that will be instilled in a lot of people in our organization as soon as they walk through the door. Um, and it's not just a throwaway vision mission statement that I've seen maybe in other organizations that really do, the guys really do align to those core company values in that sense. 
Okay. Okay. No, I think you've covered a lot of really good ground there. That's been very, very solid. I really appreciate it, uh, Dennis. I suppose if we could shift gears a small bit here and focus on uh, Ireland as a platform, you know, from your, you know, considerable experience, um, you know, having worked in Ireland and and worked across EMEA uh, with various different cultures, what is it do you think, you know, attracts um, multinationals to Ireland as a platform? Um. I mean, I think probably the obvious ones are right. Um, and, you know, we were talking about this uh, probably uh, last week as well mm-hmm. and before the call around taxation. And again, I'm not a tax expert either. So if you ask me to go into that level of granular detail, I probably sure. won't be able to go. But obviously the corporation tax rates in Europe, you know, are, are very favorable. Um, but uh, there's a couple of other reasons as well, which I think are probably more important. Um, you know, a lot of the global players are probably already here. Um, in that sense and so if you're looking in you know and you're going okay look at those you know fortune 500 companies already set up there then you know you're you're probably looking in in that sense going it's obviously a good place to be and not only here but here on mass i mean these aren't sort of gold-plated offices that are uh, one and two rooms these are significant organizations like google of five thousand people here and facebook of several thousands as well i mean these are considerable per, per head of population uh, employ 15% of the economy, you know, and there's that kind of grounding um, of talent pool, as it were. Has been, that been your experience when you're looking for talent as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. And I mean, like the other thing to, to call out here as well around, you know, and, and Ireland in particular, we're obviously a member of the European Union. And staying uh, as well, so key point. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and you know obviously you know european citizens have the have the ability to move freely within the eu to, to live and work and i think sure. that's a big part of it you know um i think the probably other two two key points for me are um and, and these are probably you know two of the biggest points would be uh, number one the quality of life um that ireland has to offer um you know and we live here and we're we're probably so used to we don't probably shout from the ceiling enough about it but we have a we have a huge quality of life in this in, in this uh, country um, as an island and um, the ability to be close to, to the coastline as well i think is is a huge uh, beneficiary for a lot of people and um, but the most important thing for me is probably the talent piece um you know and regardless of the the size of population we we have a young population i think in europe uh, mm-hmm. to a degree um and i think in terms of skilled labor um, you probably will, and again, it's a biased view, but I think Ireland, for me, um, having travelled a lot, I, I would obviously be very biased to say is is hugely, hugely talented uh, when it comes to people um, as a whole in relation to to the corporate world. Uh, if you look at the longevity of some of those companies that are here that, that you talk about, Ross, there's not just mm-hmm. one. There's a good few of them. Um, well, I think that that would kind of re-cement that 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 um, that, that, that thought as well. Yeah, I would fully agree with all of that. And I think that provides a good basis for being successful. And you have that kind of track record as well. It's one of the three T's the IDA talk about, which is obviously tax talent and then that track record piece then as well. Well, look, these guys have been there and they've done that. And they've done it across a number of different industry. I mean, the two that lend themselves the best would be pharmaceuticals and and our space would be tech. So um, Mm. I suppose the other component that's kind of a little bit more uh, intangible is the crack spelled C-R-A-I-C. How would you define what that means to you, Dennis? Yeah, well, funny enough, working with a working with a European team, um, you know, and I have seen it spelled uh, C or A C K. So uh, that's, that's been a different <laughs> conversation that I've had to explain around that, that spelling. Um, but the crack, what what is the crack? I mean, 
probably think the it's probably something that can only be described as uh, something uniquely Irish, right? Um, and you're either born with it or born into it. Okay. Um, sure. And I mean, that, yeah, I mean that that's probably the best way of surmising it. But I think it is something just completely uniquely Irish, and it's something that you you, you can't make. Um, I think it's, it's it's natural in a lot of people. Um, you can't fake, I'd say as well. You can't fake it. You you just can't. It's something where wherever you go in the world. And I think you know if you look at kind of any country that the Irish are associated with, we're always probably seen as a friendly nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that sense, you know, there's probably a, a there's probably a neutrality conversation there somewhere. But but for the most sense, it's probably based on our per individual personalities and collectively um, our attitude as a nation as a whole. Um, to, to, to quote Father Ted, probably a great bunch of lads. But. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, no, I use that in my life an awful lot. I I, I think I, I derive a lot of my sense of humour from that. In our family, it's a big one. All right, around the Christmas dinner table for not taking ourselves too seriously, you know. It's, we work hard, but you know what? We've a bit of a laugh along the way. And, you know, that, that goes back to those kind of core values we talked around. Um, you know, absolutely work hard, but, you know, we, we, we have a lot of hard fun and play hard as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely echo that. Okay, gents, I shall wrap it up there. Thank you all for your time today. Really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, look forward to uh, speaking and work with you again in the future. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dennis. Be safe. Welcome to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, where we help business leaders and individual contributors with actionable insights to hit their number and figure out the nuances of truly operating a business globally today, squeezing the essence of the lessons learned from the planet's top tech leaders. This is your guide to joining the fast track to global market scaling.